having a kid, if you have kids, it is probably the biggest life change in your life, just as far as, as, as things being different. It's a clear landmark moment. I remember in 2020, we, we left the house and we had zero babies at the house. And then we returned two days later and we had a human child to take care of. The same thing in 2022. We left our, our, our two-year-old with his grandparents sleeping and we came back two days later and we had two humans that we were responsible for. It's a clear landmark moment. And what's interesting is when it comes to spiritual matters, I think a lot of times we don't necessarily have as many clear landmark moments. Here's what I mean by that. A lot of times we walk into church and we walk out, and if we're honest, sometimes we kind of feel the same way. Like rarely do I walk into church and I'm like, man, I'm so impatient. And then I walk out and I'm like, I have the fruit of the spirit of patience just from this church service. I'm never going to be impatient again. Like that doesn't happen. And if you guys are with me, oftentimes our spiritual growth is a slow, sometimes painful process. Have you guys experienced this? It's a slow process. Sometimes we even wonder, is anything happening? But I do believe there are breakthrough moments in our spiritual life. There are moments where everything changes. And what's interesting is that if you look at the end of our passage today, John chapter 8, verse 30, there's a breakthrough moment that happens. This is a spoiler alert for the end of the teaching, but this is the last part of the passage. It says, even as Jesus spoke, many believe in him. And so what we're going to see today is that through the message that we're going to read, people's lives and their eternities were changed. And I believe that's going to happen today. That for some, you walked in and maybe you are a part of the crowd. There was always a crowd around Jesus. But today, God is going to move you from the crowd to a disciple, to a follower of Jesus. Maybe there are some that are in here that you have been a Christian, you've been a believer, and maybe even you started the year with great intentions to do your New Year's resolution to take your faith more seriously. But, but things have gotten a little off track, and today is going to be a clear landmark moment for you to say, this moment changed for me, and Jesus did something in my life, and I'm new. The title of my message today is what else do you need? What else do you need? As in, what is keeping you from taking that next step in following Jesus? And I believe God is going to speak to our hearts today. So with that being said, let's pray and let's dive in. God, we need you. We need you to speak to our hearts. We need you to encourage us and help us. We need your Holy Spirit to show us what we need to learn. So please speak to us today all throughout this room and online. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. So we're in John chapter 8. And over the past couple of weeks, as we've been studying through the book of John, Jesus has been at the Feast of Tabernacles, which was a seven-day feast that every Jew went to Jerusalem to attend. So that is the setting. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Dave Barnes taught us about the fact that Jesus spoke about living water. And that was part of the Feast of Tabernacles, water. And so Jesus incorporated this. Last week, David Palmisano, he spoke and he talked about the woman caught at adultery also happened at the Feast of Tabernacles. 
Now, I want to give you one more piece of background about the Feast of Tabernacles that's going to lead us into our text. It's from Henry Alford, and so check this quote out. This is from a commentator, and it said this. It said, it was the custom that during the first night, if not every night of the Feast of Tabernacles, it was the custom to light up two large golden chandeliers in the court of women. That was the first court that you walked into in the temple and the light of which illuminated all Jerusalem. And all that night, they held a festal dance by the light. So here's what we see. We see that there's this moment where they light chandeliers, and it's a beautiful celebration. They have music. They have dancing. It lasts all night, and it's all about light. It's all surrounded with a celebration of light. Now, that is the context. Look with me at John 8, 12. And this is what Jesus said during the festival of tabernacles. It says, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So in this celebration of light, Jesus says, I am the true light of the world. So, of course, they would have made the connection when they heard it. But these people, the Jewish people, they would have been incredibly familiar with their scriptures, our Old Testament. And throughout the Old Testament, there are many different allusions and themes talking about light. So I want to talk about some of the things that they would have thought when Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Three verses. The first one, very famous, third verse in the Bible. And it says this in Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. And God said let there be light. So this is the first moments of history, the first moments of creation, and the first recorded words were by God. And the words were, let there be light. And when God spoke, there was light. You see, the the first problem that God solved, if you will, was he saw a universe filled with darkness And he brought light into that darkness. And this is what we do, right? When when you wake up early before the sun, something that as with a three-week-old, I've been doing quite a bit. The first thing that you do is you say, we have darkness. I want to turn on a light. When Katie and I were bringing our two boys in, and it's after dark, that's the first thing that we do. We say, we can't do anything else until we turn on a light. Because without light, you can't move forward. And can I tell you that if your life has darkness in it, your first step is to bring light into the picture. And the light that you need is Jesus. You see, Jesus brings us true light. Jesus brings light into the darkness. You can write that down. The second scripture that perhaps the Jews would have been thinking about when Jesus talked to them and when he said, I am the light of the world, is they would have been thinking about the story of Exodus. The story of Exodus was when God delivered the people from slavery, brought them into the promised land. And one of the key moments is in Exodus chapter 13, and it says this. It says, by day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way. And by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could not travel by day or by night, neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. 
So God, he was accompanying his people, his presence with, went with them when he delivered them from slavery. This pillar of cloud and pillar of fire, it was to remind them that they just weren't on a road trip in the desert. They were on a journey with God. And his presence provided protection and direction. See, when Jesus says he's the light of the world, it means Jesus brings us protection and direction. See, when we have Jesus in our life, when we open up his word and we read it, we discover protection. God says, don't go here. Don't do this. Step in this way, and this is how you will find life. We find direction as we walk with the Holy Spirit, and he leads us. And this is what it means for Jesus to be our light. But there's another scripture that I want us to highlight that perhaps the Jewish people would have been thinking about when Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Throughout the book of Isaiah, and especially in the last portion of Isaiah, there are a lot of prophecies about the Messiah, about the coming king that God had sent to his people. And he said, I'm going to send you this Messiah, this king, and he's going to deliver you. He's going to rescue you. He's going to save you. And this is one of the texts, one of the scriptures about the Messiah, Isaiah 49, 6. And this is what God says. He said, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and to bring back those of Israel I have kept. My servant here referring to the Messiah. And God says, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. So what he's saying is to the chosen people of Israel, he's saying, yes, my Messiah will save you and rescue you. But if you think that's all he's going to do, you're thinking too small. Because the reality is his salvation is going to be available to the entire world. And by the way, When we read the ends of the earth there, sometimes when we see the ends of the earth, we think like we're the center of the earth, the ends of the earth is somewhere else. When and where that scripture was written, West Melbourne, Florida was the ends of the earth. So God's gospel, the salvation of Jesus has reached the ends of the earth and we need to continue to carry it to the ends of the earth. That's why Jesus said, I am the light of the world and Christians, you are the light of the world. And so here's the third thing that Jesus meant when he said he was the light of the world, that Jesus wants to save everyone. He wants to rescue everyone. And Jesus makes this bold claim. Yeah, we can clap for that. Let's cheer that Jesus wants to rescue everybody. The the neighbors, your friends, he wants to save them. If you're in this room and you're far from God, he wants to save you. Now, Jesus makes this bold claim. One of the things that they would have realized is he is saying, I am the Messiah, I am king. And we know, if if we've read, that the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they're going to have a little problem with that. And So look at verse 13, and it says this, the Pharisees challenged him. They said, here you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. See, in the law, you could not represent yourself in court. You could not, you could not be a, a witness for yourself. And so they said, look, you can't just be a witness. It's invalid. Now, here's what's interesting. As we've been studying through the Gospel of John, from John chapter 5 all the way to John chapter 10, there is a series of, we'll call them friendly debates, that Jesus has with the religious leaders, with the Pharisees. And he 
during these debates, continually talks about who he is and what he's doing on the earth. So we actually get a lot of our, our Christology, that's a, that's a big word for our theology about Jesus. We get them from these texts, John 5 through John 10, because Jesus is talking a lot about himself. And so in this text, that's what we're doing. We're hearing Jesus and he's saying, I'm going to describe myself. I'm going to describe who I am and why I'm on the earth. So here we go. Verse 16, Jesus continues and it says, or sorry, verse 14, Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid for I know where I came from or, and where I'm going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. Now remember that I said that the title was What Else Do You Need? It's a title that's designed to get us to think, man, what is keeping us from truly following after Jesus? And during this scripture, during the text that we read today, I'm going to give you three questions that I want you to reflect on and ask yourself. The first question is this, how am I judging Jesus? How am I judging Jesus? This may seem a little weird that we would judge Jesus, but truthfully, all of us have an opinion about who he is. And Jesus, he was actually explaining to the Pharisees, he says, you're judging me, but you're judging me with incomplete information. He said, you don't know where I've come from. You don't know where I'm going, and you've made up your minds with an incomplete amount of knowledge. The most important question that any person could ask, every person in here, every person online, there is one question that is vitally important for you to answer. It's a question that will shape every moment of your life here on earth and every second of your eternity. And that question is, who is Jesus? And each one has to answer this question. And so often, people answer the question, who is Jesus, with incomplete information. So sometimes we see a, a post on Facebook or on Instagram talking about God, talking about the Bible, talking about the church, and we make a judgment based on that post instead of judging Jesus for who he really is. So some of us in here, we're judging Jesus based on how we think our friends and family are going to react to our decision. I don't want to truly follow after him. I don't want to take this too seriously because if I do, people are going to judge me. Some of us, we're judging Jesus based on our life circumstances. God, things aren't going the way I want them to. My prayers aren't being answered in the way I desire or in the time I desire, so you must not be real. You must not really care. And, and we use our finite circumstances to judge the infinite God. Some of us, perhaps, were judging Jesus as a historical figure, as an interesting person to study, but, but we're not truly evaluating him for who he really is. And when it comes to judging Jesus, I truly believe we don't need speculation. We need revelation. We need revelation. What is revelation? Revelation is when God opens up our hearts and opens up our eyes to actually see Jesus for who he really is. 
That this is what Paul is saying when he wrote in the book of Ephesians and he says, may you have the power to understand. That's power from God as all God's people should. How wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. You see, God loves you with an unimaginable love. The, the, the person that you love the most in this world, it doesn't even compare to the vast love that God loves you. But we need God to open up our eyes to show us that. And we need, even right now, there's people in this room, there's people online that, that God is opening up your heart and opening up your eyes to see Jesus in a deeper way. That's why we come to church. Because every time I come to church, I say, God, show me something more about who you are. And it takes revelation. And that's what we need. Let's keep going, though, as we continue to study this passage. Look with me at verse 16. It says this, Jesus continuing to talk, and he says, But if I do judge, my decisions are true, because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. Verse 17, it says, In your own law it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. So Jesus is kind of poking fun at them. He's being a little sarcastic with them right now, because they said, you're only one witness, your testimony is invalid. He's saying, I actually have another witness. My other witness is the Father. Here's what they say, verse 19. They ask him, who is your father? This is a little dig at him because they felt like Jesus was an illegitimate child because Mary um, conceived him out of wedlock. We know it was the, the Holy Spirit that conceived Jesus in her. But he said, Jesus said, verse 19, you do not know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. Verse 20, he spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. And so we see Jesus making these claims about who he is and who God is. And they were very controversial claims, but we see that God protected him because it wasn't his time to die. Here's the second question that I want us to write down. The second question is this, am I religious, am I spiritual, or do I follow Jesus? Am I religious, am I spiritual, or do I follow Jesus? Here, here's what Jesus says to the Pharisees. They were incredibly knowledgeable about the Bible. In fact, they had the entire Old Testament memorized. So some of us, we're, we're doing good to memorize John 3.16, and they had the entire Old Testament memorized. And, and, and he says to them, you have a lot of head knowledge, but you don't truly know who I am, therefore you don't know who God is. Now, I was thinking about scripture memory, and there was this bittersweet moment in my life a few years ago. I got asked to officiate my grandmother's funeral. It was six years ago, and she was an incredible woman, one of the most godly, amazing women that I knew, and so it was a true privilege. And one of the things that the family asked me to do and our family asked me to do was at the graveside service, they said, lead us in all saying together Psalm 23. Now, the moment they asked me, this is what happened in my head. I thought, I know Psalm 23. I'm a Christian, okay? I know Psalm 23. And so I don't need to look at it. I don't need to bring a Bible. Of course, I have it memorized. I've heard it in church like my whole life. 
And so I didn't think about it a moment from the time they asked me to the time we got to the graveside. And we got to the graveside, and I'm standing there, and I say, all right, now, as a family, we would like to together recite Psalm 23. So I started, and I said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And at that moment, I realized I don't have Psalm 23 memorized. (laughs) This is about all I got. (laughs) And so you know how, like, sometimes like Shane or one of the worship leaders, like they'll kind of back off the microphone and be like, you guys take it for a little bit. Now, Shane knows the lyrics. He's just letting us sing. I did that. I was like, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Now you, got, you guys take it from here. Um, I did go home and I memorized Psalm 23, just so you know, okay? But, but the Pharisees had scripture memorized. But Jesus said, but you don't know God. So many people, they're, they're putting trust in, in, in a knowledge or a, a belief that they have. Some people say, I'm religious. My, my parents were Methodists. My, my grandparents were Catholic. I went to Episcopal school. Therefore, I'm good. And the question is not, are you religious? The question is, do you follow Jesus? So many uh, people in this generation, they would say, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. What that means is, I do believe there's a God out there somewhere. I do believe that, that something is out there, and so I don't really know too much about it. Therefore, I'm just going to try to be what I believe to be a nice, kind person, send positive vibes into the universe, and hopefully that will do. And, and, and that's really the, the reality of where some people are at. But here's the question. It's not about being spiritual. What it is is as, as much as that could be a good intention, as much as that could be something that you you're, have good motives behind, what Jesus is saying is God can actually be known. And the way that you know God is you get to know Jesus. See, here's what it says in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. In other words, if you want to know God, get to know Jesus. Because Jesus is God with flesh and bone. Jesus is God walking among us. And Jesus said that my father attested to me or witnessed about me. And there's some different ways. I wrote down some different ways that the father attested to or witnessed about Jesus. Uh, Here's a few. First off, through Old Testament prophecies. From Genesis 3 all the way through Malachi, every book in the Old Testament points to Jesus. God attested to Jesus through John the Baptist. John the Baptist prepared the way. He went before and announced, there is a king coming and his name is Jesus. He is Lord. God confirmed Jesus through the baptism and the transfiguration. This was an actual moment where the audible voice of God spoke from heaven and said, this is my son, listen to him. He's better than the prophets. He's better than the law. He is the center of the story. God attested about Jesus or confirmed Jesus through the crucifixion and the resurrection. In fact, in Romans 1, it says that at the resurrection, God stamped his seal of approval that Jesus was the Son of God. And then finally, the Holy Spirit and the church. The church 
through the power of the Holy Spirit, is evidence of Jesus. That 120 followers of Jesus, scared out of their minds when Jesus was crucified, through the Holy Spirit, took a movement to the entire world. And the gospel, the kingdom of God, has spread into the world. And so God himself is saying, listen to Jesus. He is the center of the story. And the question is, do we follow Jesus? Let's keep reading. Look with me, if you will, at verse 21. We're going to read a big text here. It says, once more, Jesus said to them, I am going away, and you will look for me, and you will die in your sin. For where I go, you cannot come. And this made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is this why he said, where I go, you cannot come? But Jesus continued, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world and I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am he. You will indeed die in your sins. Verse 25, who are you, they asked. And Jesus replied, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say in judgment of you. But he who sent me is trustworthy and what I have heard from him I tell the world. And they did not understand that he was telling them about God his father. Look at verse 28, so important. Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own, but speak what the Father has taught me. And the one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Now here's what's interesting. Jesus says, some pretty intense things during this scripture that I just read. They were intense back then. They are intense now. Jesus says that there is a difference between those who are above and those who are below. He says that if you don't believe in Jesus, that you'll die of your sins. He says that there is a judgment coming. And so what we see here is that Jesus, he draws a line in the sand. He says, there is a very clear difference between right and wrong, between good and evil, between the side of God and the side of the enemy. Jesus is drawing a very clear line. And here is what our world does. Our world doesn't like the lines and the boundaries the way that God has drawn them. And so some in our world, and sometimes we're tempted to do this, we, we, we try to draw the line somewhere else. Sometimes we try to erase the line, and we say it's not nice or kind or loving to even have a line. But what Jesus is saying is that, that I am the one who defines reality. I'm the one who defines every part of reality. And so he gives us free will, and he allows us to be in charge of ourselves to a certain extent. But he does say that one day judgment will come. And at that day, the question will be, whose side are you on? And so this is the last question that I want us to ask and reflect on. Whose side am I on? A lot of people would say that it's harsh or it's unloving for God to have judgment. It's, it's, it's harsh to even have sides. But what I think about is the fact that Jesus has given us the truth. 
He's given us both sides, and he's saying, I'm allowing you to choose where you want to be. It's like with my son, Isaiah. He's two years old, and he is an amazing boy. He's so sweet, but he has some little two-year-old tantrums, and so he kind of struggles right now with hitting. And so he likes to hit me. He likes to hit Katie. Whenever something doesn't go his way, best believe the smack's coming. And so one of the things that we're trying to do is trying to become, help him become a, a civilized human being, which means it's not cool to hit people, okay? Will Smith learned that. I, well, okay, sorry. <laughs> Anyways, not in my notes, clearly. And so one of the things that we're trying to do is that we have a place for him called simmer time. And simmer time is where when he hits, we put him in simmer time, which is basically just its place. It's in his crib with the lights on, and he gets to be super bored for a couple minutes. What, what the reality is, I'm the one who is enforcing that, but he's the one who is choosing whether or not to be in simmer time. It's his choice. And in the same way, what Jesus is saying is, I'm laying out reality for you. I'm laying out the truth for you. You are deciding whose side you're on. You're deciding where the line is. So the question is, how do we know the line? Well, the line is the cross. The line is the cross. You see, look with me again at verse 28. And it says this in verse 28. Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. And that I I do nothing on my own, but speak what the Father has taught me. You see, we can only see Jesus through the cross. And at the cross, Jesus hung and he died. He was beaten and tortured. And he took our sins on his shoulder. So that he paid for our sins. And when we believe in him, we have forgiveness for our sins. And we have new life with God. You were created for life with God. But we can only have that life with God through Jesus. And so what Jesus is saying is, if you want to walk with me, if you want to believe in me, it's got to be through the cross. And and every one of us has to have that moment. It, It has to move from being an intellectual thing to being a reality in our lives. Growing up, I had a great Christian upbringing. I went to high school in a Christian high school. I went to a Christian college. I was baptized at the age of five in a little Baptist church in Charlotte, North Carolina. But there was a moment after I graduated college when I realized I'm not actually following Jesus. I just have a lot of information about him. And I was empty, and I felt like everything in my life, I was trying really hard, but I wasn't finding satisfaction. I wasn't finding meaning. And so in my little apartment, three months after I graduated from college, I cried out to God, and I said, God, I know a lot about you, but I actually want to know you. I want to follow you. I want you to be king of my life, and not just someone that I know about or associate with. And if you don't hear anything else for this whole teaching, I want you to hear this. That it's not enough to know about light. True life starts when we walk in Jesus' light. We must know Jesus and walk with Jesus. 
And the last verse in our text that we read is this, that even as he spoke, many believed in Jesus. So what does it look like to believe in Jesus? Well, as we close, I want to talk about two things. I want to talk about saving faith and sanctifying faith. See, saving faith is how we become followers of Jesus, and it's a gift from God. It is not any work of our own. It's not any effort of our own. God opens up our eyes to see Jesus for who he really is. And for some in this room right now, as I've been speaking, that's happening. For some online, that's happening. But for many, well, actually for all of us who are Christians, we need to move from saving faith into sanctifying faith. And that means that we move from it being a gift from God and it's still a gift from God. And then we add to that our effort in following Jesus. Let me describe the difference for you. Let's talk about saving faith for a moment. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul, he writes this. And he says in 2 Corinthians 4, God who said, let there be light in the darkness, the same God that spoke and light sprang into the universe, he has made this light shine in our hearts so we can know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus. So there's a moment when we become a follower of Jesus where God speaks to our hearts and shows us who Jesus is, shows us the reality of the cross, and we believe. And that is not our work. That is a gift of God. And then there's sanctifying faith. And Paul writes this about sanctifying faith. He says in Philippians chapter 2, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. And so what Paul is saying is it's still God's work. It's still God's gift. It's still grace. It's still mercy. It's still the power of the Holy Spirit. But we are called to add our effort to it. And it's not earning God's love, but it's learning how to discipline ourselves and learning how to say, God, by your power, I'm going to make Jesus king of my life. I'm not just going to say Jesus is someone that I know facts about. I'm not just going to say Jesus is someone that I appreciate. I'm going to say, Jesus, you are king. I'm going to deny myself and I'm going to follow you. And we need saving faith to bring us into the kingdom. And we need sanctifying faith to move us towards what God has called us to. And so that's what I believe God is speaking to us about. And I want to take a moment right now and I want us to pray. So if you can, everyone in this room, everyone online, if you could bow your heads, quiet your hearts, open up your hearts to God. I believe there are many in here today that you would say, I'm a Christian. I've said the prayer. I've been baptized. But Brian, if I'm honest, I, I've been, been in my mind believing in the things of God. I've been in some ways going through the routine. But in reality, I'm living like an atheist even though I'm saying I'm a Christian. And so the call for us is to say, Jesus, I don't want you to just be my savior. I want you to be my king and my Lord. And right here in the quiet, I want to invite you to take a moment and just pray to God. Pray in your heart to God and just respond to him 
and say, God, I'm giving you all of my life. Let your light shine into every area of my mind, of my heart, of my thoughts, of my desires, of my actions. I want my life to be filled with your light. Just take a moment and pray that to God. Now I believe that there are those who you walked in here as part of the crowd, that you knew about Jesus, you were interested in Jesus, but you weren't a follower of Jesus. And today, God has opened up your eyes. You've had a moment of revelation of you've seen God, you've seen Jesus as a savior and as the Lord of your life. And for the first time today, you can say, my sins are forgiven and I'm a new creation. I've been made new. And I believe that moment has happened for people in this room and people online. But it's so important for us to respond to that moment. And so if you're in here and you would say, today, Jesus showed me who he was. And I put my faith and trust in him to forgive me of my sins and to become a Christian. I just want to ask you if you would just raise your hand right now. If there's people in here who would say, that's me. That you would just say, yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Amazing. Anybody else? Awesome. So good. Praise God. If you're watching online, you can just text the number that's on the screen or call that number that's on the screen if, if you're raising your hand and someone will be there to answer that and to pray with you. But for those of you guys who today became followers of Jesus, I want to invite you in this room to pray a prayer with me. Just say, dear Jesus, today you saved my life. Today you set me free. I am yours. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Thank you for rising to give me new life. Help me to follow you. Help me to serve you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I wanna invite you to stand as God continues to work and move in this place. As God is renewing our hearts and bringing us closer, we're gonna celebrate communion in just a moment. Communion is a time when we reflect and repent and return back to God. So if there's anything in your life that is keeping you from God. John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. So confess, turn to God.